Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Companies podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each week, our expert arborists share advice on seasonal tree care, how to make your trees thrive, arborists' favorite trees, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more, because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. This week, we continue celebrating our one-year anniversary of the podcast. Hooray! And as a thank you, we're holding a Davy Bluetooth earbuds giveaway through the end of the month while supplies last. To learn more about entering the giveaway, read this episode's podcast show notes below, or head over to Davy's Facebook or LinkedIn page to learn more. To find us, just search Davy Tree on Facebook or LinkedIn to see our podcast giveaway post for instructions. I'm very excited this week to be joined by Eric Countryman. He's a district manager for the East Pittsburgh office of the Davy Tree Expert Company. Eric, you are our very first guest almost one year ago exactly. So thank you for returning. This is exciting for me. We're gonna I, I've been I've been wanting to do this episode for quite a while, talking about all the cool tools that I've heard about over this year from talking to arborists. Things I never even knew existed. So welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. It's good to be back. So the first tool I want to talk about is one I've heard about. I don't know what it's called, but is it some type of drill bit where you drill into a tree to tell if it's solid or rotten? Does that sound right? Yeah, there's a, there's a tool called a resistograft. And what it, it, is, a, it is a drill, and uh, there is a contraption that goes on top of the drill uh, kind of, you know, from the, where the bit is kind of over top of it that, um, will give you a printout, um, like a seismograph looking kind of thing as the drill bit is drilled slowly into your trunk of your tree. So, uh, typically they're 20 some, 30 some inches long and the drill bits are very small. So the hole they make is very, very insignificant, but as it goes into the tree and it hits resistance, you see the line go high on the piece of paper. And then when you go deeper in, if the tree is hollow or you're hitting mushy center, that line falls. And so by the time you're done and you bring the bit all the way back out, you've got a a printout of inch by inch what that drill bit has encountered as it's gone into the tree. So you can more or less see, you know, in in that, you know, window of where that drill bit is, what kind of resistance meaning and what the solidness of the wood is. So you don't want to just do it in one spot. You know, you do want to, Typically, you know, I, I, when I use it, I incorporate a, a compass so that I'm, you know, really hitting four pretty, you know, even corners around the tree and try to get at different heights um, from, you know, your base, you know, higher, you know, above your root flare. And so when you're using it on the trunk of a tree, you want to try to use it at like various compass points, you know, four or five around, and then go up about a foot each time. So you get a much better kind of spiral picture of the inside of your tree. And you can use it on more than just the trunk. If you have a hollow spot higher up that you're worried about, you can just, if you can get the machine up there, you can use it anywhere in the tree. So when you're looking at a tree, when does that tool come out? When, when are you thinking like, okay, we better or are there lots, lots of? I'm, I guess I'm, I'm guessing there's lots of different reasons you use a tool like that. Yeah, there would be lots of different reasons. I mean, a lot of it's if you do suspect it's hollow, if you're seeing weeping, if you're seeing signs of growth. But also, you know, we start. You know, usually the first tool before that is a sounding hammer. So we have oh. kind of a special hammer with a plastic end and a rubber side, 
And we do use that pounding on the trunk of a tree like a drum just to see if we can hear for hollowness um, before we start poking around with a machine that can be a little, it works great, but it can be a little temperamental. And uh, so, yeah, but if, mainly we are, look, you're using that kind of thing to show if the structural integrity of a tree or a branch is in trouble because it's starting to rot or it because it has gotten completely hollow. So uh, tell me what an air spader is. I've That has come up before in the podcast, but I don't know what it is. Okay, so an air spade, or sometimes it's called an air knife, is a handheld tool. Basically looks like a long tube. Uh, you have a handle at the one end, like a trigger handle, and you have um, a nozzle at the other end. And this thing hooks up via air hose to a large air compressor. You like the big toe behind ones you see. And it blasts high-pressure air out of that nozzle, and you use it to remove soil, grass, and everything from around the base of a tree or a root system so that you can see what's under the ground without damaging that, those, that roots by trying to remove all that soil. And how often does that thing get used? I mean, is this just, do you have all this stuff with you when you're going to, to, to see a property? Or do you say, I better bring my air spader today or my resistograph? Yeah. No, I mean, a lot of times uh, you have to make a, a trip, come back around. Some of those tools can be pretty expensive. You're talking a couple of thousand dollars okay. for some of them. And, you know, you don't tow a big air compressor around with you everywhere. A lot of times what happens is us arborists will go out to a property. We'll notice, say, that maple tree's looking a little peaked. It's not thriving. We examine it closer. We see, like, maybe there's some girdling roots or possible girdling roots, or maybe it's volcano mulched. That's when we think, okay, we need to come back with that air spade and expose that root system to see what we're, you know, again, experience kind of tells you what you think you're going to find and what you kind of know what you're going to have to do when the time comes. Um, So yeah, we can, you know, but generally you're making a special trip around those tools. We don't carry in the back of the car all day long. That makes sense. How about the hammer? (laughs) That I have in my car all the time. Yep. (laughs) I don't know which side to use on a hammer, so that's how good I am with them. That's why I need uh, Eric. I need you to be coming to look at my trees, and and you know that's a, it's a good point because a, a normal person, a regular homeowner, they're not going to be able to use any of these tools. That's why you need an expert to come out. Yeah. What else is in your arsenal when you're thinking about uh, me picking your brain about tools that you use? So I mean the the two. Other tools I carry in my car, well, two or three, really. Um, a soil probe, a core soil probe, about two feet long, um, just so you can see what, you know, is the soil really sandy? Is it soaking wet? Is it muddy? You know, or is it dry? Can you, I mean, if you can't get it an inch in the ground, that soil is probably so dry, it's probably time to water. So it can tell you a lot, even more without, even if you don't can't use it because it's so dry, it's telling you a story. Um then I also, you know, always carrying uh, like a hand shovel, a little hand trowel or a hand little rake, little gardening rake, because again, to remove stuff from around the base of a tree, it'll help kind of pull back. You know, a lot of times people get grass too close and all, it'll just help to clear it away so I can see what I'm doing. And then the other one is, um, you know, we all, all of us arborists carry special tape measures called DBH tapes, which means diameter at breast height, which is basically how you size a tree. And a lot of uh, treatment protocols, a lot of, you know, if there has to be some pesticides applied, a lot of it is based on that diameter number. 
So it's incredibly important. It's like, you know, knowing the weight of a person before you give a medicine, you usually need to know the DBH of a tree too. Well, the other tool I was thinking about is bigger, uh, a chipper. And again, in my opinion, no homeowner should be running a chipper. That sounds really dangerous to me. A trained expert should be running a chipper. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, um, yeah, yes. I think wood chippers, you should definitely be trained in how to use it. Um, and we bring a new employee on. They are watching the videos from the manufacturer. They're having special training by the experienced foreman before they're ever really allowed to start chucking brush through a, a machine that that's that big and that dangerous. And a lot of the little ones, like say you can rent from Home Depot as a homeowner, are even more dangerous because they're not they just they don't have as much the safety protocol and and they almost work so quickly that, you know, something can go wrong very, very fast. Well, well, people don't realize if they do start to do a little bit of pruning, how much material you can uh, accumulate very quickly. Very, very quickly. And and then you have part of, uh, you know, a, a plan of gardening, of tree work, of everything is debris disposal. You Unless you live on some giant farm where you can just push it in the back 40 and let it or burn it. Um, most, you know, homeowners, that's just not an option. And it, you're going to fill up more than a couple paper bags to put out in the, you know, in the local garbage. And, uh, so, I mean, we, we run into this a lot of times with customers where they want to save a, a little bit of money and they're thinking, oh, you know what, just leave it. I'll take care of it. You know, just bring down the tree. I'll clean it up. And vast majority of the customers I run into would have absolutely no way of doing that. <laughs> they just have no idea how much volume they're going to generate. And sometimes it's it's unsafe for us to just start piling up huge piles of debris to work in that it's actually the chipper helps keep a clean and safe workspace as well. Well, Eric, being a cheapskate, I have done that too. And luckily, my arborist from Davey talked me out of it. Like, you're not saving that much. No, no. You know, and you're going to be working for uh, weeks, months, years. <laughs> <laughs> to get, to get. It's always, well, my my brother-in-law, he burns wood. I'm like, well, you better hope he's really going to come and get it because we've had to come back and make second trips for a lot of absentee brother-in-laws. <laughs> uh, another tool that uh, I talk a lot about when, when uh, people are asking me, like, Hey, can I plant a tree here after one's taken out is a stump grinder. Tell me a little bit about what that tool does. I mean, you know, a stump grinder, but how does that work? So, I mean, there there are many different kinds, but on a professional level, basically it's a large machine that either is self-propelled, so the size of a rather large tractor, or it's towed behind, uh, you know, a, a, a truck of some kind. And it is just a large spinning wheel that, you know, with hydraulics, it keeps that wheel spinning and all it ba- is doing is chewing into that really hard stump wood and throwing it out behind it usually or to the side of it, uh, the debris that it's chipping up. You know, a lot of them can go about, you know, eight to 10 inches down into the ground, not much further than that. So people that want it ground all the way to China, that's just, you know, the machine only goes as deep, you know, so deep. That's why I don't recommend if, you know, you want to plant a, a tree, unless it's a really tiny one, you don't want to put it right on top of an old stump because no grinder is going to get it all the way to soil. And even if you did, that spot's going to settle for 10 years. So you need to put the tree, you know, five feet the other direction at least and get it out of the way. So I get people emailing me and they want to 
drill into the stump. They want to put something in the stump. They want to start the stump on fire. They want to, uh, you know, they've got all sorts of crazy ideas. Just get a guy that knows what he's doing, uh, uh, an expert, and and get it ground out of there. And that's a great point. Uh, again, not only you know is that spot a bad spot to plant another tree on, but, but for, for the reasons you said, but there could be pH issues there too. You know, if you're yeah. if you're taking out like a pine tree or something, uh, that could just be so uh, acidic. Well, and it's going to decay, so you're going to have literally rotting wood and you don't really want to put a healthy tree rot on top of that good place to grow mushrooms exactly <laughs> yeah and then the we were talking about people with drilling and they want to salt it or they want to do it all they're trying to do at that point is speed up the natural decomposing process so if you really just want to leave it then just leave it there's no reason to do all that other stuff all you're going to do is either hurt yourself or salt the earth and not, none of those things are necessary well, tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing this time of the year you know on the east here uh, it's cold. The ground's frozen. What kind of work do you guys do in these situations? We're doing a lot of pruning and a lot of removals, uh, specifically um, oak pruning and elm pruning. Uh, makes so, sense. Uh, and then actually we've lately been leaving beech trees um, also to the winter because of the rise of beech canker we've seen in the city of Pittsburgh, just trying not to expose wounds during uh, the scale insect seasons and all of that. We're just it's just to just to be safe. I'm not I mean, the research I've read doesn't necessarily say it's not recommending that's a must. But, you know, why not? You know, if it can wait, wouldn't wait. So we've talked about this before on the podcast. But if you wouldn't mind, remind us why it's important to to prune those oaks and elms during the uh, dormant season. Well, uh, oak trees are susceptible to a vascular disease called um, oak wilt. And Dutch elm disease attacks American elms. So uh, for the same reason, we try not to prune them when they're actively growing. It releases, uh, it attracts the insects that are the carriers or the vectors for those fungal diseases. Um, And so just out of the safety, uh, we do them now. That way we don't really have to paint all the wounds. It can naturally heal and close. And there's really then no risk for the disease spread if you give them time to, to close up. So that season typically starts April-ish. And I've heard differing reports, but on the safe side, we typically don't get back into pruning oaks or elms until sometime mid-October. If, if an emergency and you have to because of a storm, then we would paint the wound. Um, but then you're doing, you know, say you're trying to take all kinds of you know, sprouts and epicormic growth out of an oak tree, you, the time it would take to paint all that would just be silly. So it's just easier to wait till the winter. Well, I want you to talk a little bit about that painting because uh, to explain to people that is in the case of, like you say, a storm or something like that. Normally, uh, you're not treating a, a cut with anything. Is that right? Unless there's some kind of issue like this. Uh, correct. Correct. I- I'm a believer, and I, you know, I think the research shows it as well, is that letting a tree naturally, you know, if you make a proper pruning cut at the uh, branch collar where it can naturally heal itself over, it's going to compartmentalize that. It's going to be able to grow new uh, bark and growth around it. Whereas if you paint it, you're just sealing in whatever, you know, you could be sealing in disease on itself or rot where you're not allowing the um, plant to breathe. So that's not, not my recommendation. And like, like we said, to keep, you know, to 
So you're not attracting insects to these open wounds, then otherwise, yeah, it's not a great idea. Are there any other big tools that you use that, you know, a homeowner wouldn't have access to when you're doing work? Yeah, I mean, you know, different operations get into different things, but we go all the way from needing to bring in, you know, multi, you know, ton cranes to small ride-on little uh, loader machines, you know, sometimes they're called dingoes or whatever, that, you know, have a grapple or a bucket to help, you know, with all that heavy lifting to get the wood, you know, out of uh, out of the backyard and into the back of a truck. Um, we use, so we have all of that kind of heavy equipment, which, again, we go through training and, you know, extra training to make sure our operators are all safe and know what they're doing. Um, and then you, you know, the other thing is frankly, the, the sheer, um, size of chainsaw that a professional arborist uses is generally a lot larger than what a homeowner is going to have at their house. And, you you know, if you want, if you want to cut into a larger piece of wood, doing it with a tiny saw is not really good for the saw. It's not good for you. And it's just unsafe. You know, I, I want to finish off talking safety, uh, chainsaw safety, climbing safety, this is what you guys are trained for. And I, I, I tell people, do not go up on a ladder to try and take care of your tree issues because you've got somebody who, who again, spends a lot of time learning to do this the right way. And I, I know you and I both have seen neighbors, friends, you know, especially especially since we're in this industry, they'll send you a message and say, well, I'm going to – I'm like, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. You, you know, it's not worth it. And, and just if we could finish off with a little bit safety for homeowners. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the type of equipment, and the type of tools that we use as professionals are designed to do the work efficiently and safely. And and a homeowner just doesn't have access to that. To You know, when you're talking about a climber to outfit one single climber with gear, with saw, then this is not training him. This is just you know, for them to do the job, you're talking multiple thousands of dollars worth of gear. A homeowner just doesn't have that. And every single piece of that gear is useful for a safety aspect or an efficiency aspect. And if you just, a ladder and a chainsaw is so exceedingly dangerous um, that it's, it's just not worth it. And, you know, it's that, well, you know, it, what, what's the worst that could happen? Like, well, you could cut a limb off. I mean, of yourself and, Uh, you know, you trying to save a few, you know, few bucks here or there by not hiring a professional could lead to lifetime issues. You know, they're, they're, we're not talking hangnails. This is could be serious injury or death. Well, that's great advice, Eric. I appreciate it. And we always do want to push that message of safety. Thanks so much for your time. One year. Do you think we'll talk? We'll definitely talk before uh, another year, right? Anytime, Doug. Anytime. All right, Eric. Thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Good stuff, as always, from Eric. Now, next week, we're talking about favorite big trees for the landscape. And I think you're going to be quite surprised at what's being recommended. And don't forget, you can win some Davy Bluetooth earbuds just by heading over to the Davy Tree Facebook or LinkedIn pages or just read the show notes below to find out how to get a pair of those earbuds. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I am your host, Doug Oster. Do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. We're having fun. I know I am. 
As always, we'd like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer. 